Our first Bible reading today comes from Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 8, and you can find that on page 1008 of most of the Pew Bibles. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star in the east and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them where the Christ was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will be the shepherd of my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and make a careful search for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. We also have our memory text for this month, which is John chapter 1 verse 14. So let's all say that together. John chapter 1 verse 14. Came flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John chapter 1, verse 14. Good morning, everyone. The second Bible reading this morning comes from Micah chapter 5, verses 1 to 5, and that's on page 973 of the Pew Bibles. Marshal your troops, O city of troops. For a siege is laid against us. They will strike Israel's ruler on the cheek with a rod. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labour gives birth, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Oh, sorry, keep going. <laughs> Where the Assyrians invade our land and marches through our fortresses, we will raise against him seven shepherds, even eight leaders of men. Thank you, Mary, for reading um, that passage of scripture. Well, let's, um, let's come to God in prayer. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we pray that you'll help us to understand it, apply it to our hearts and lives, that you would encourage us this morning with your precious word. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, friends, I just want to begin this morning with a question for you today. What do you think, or maybe the question is this, what is the smallest town in Australia? What is the smallest town in Australia? It's not Nurat, so don't worry about that. Uh, I'll give you a clue. It's um, about 1,530 kilometers west of Brisbane. Well, I think this is how you pronounce it. Anyone? It's, I think this is how you pronounce it. If I'm wrong, well, I apologize for that. I think it's called Bitota. Is that right? B-E-T-O-O-T-A. Bitota? Well... You go whatever you want to pronounce it as. That's what I found out in Wikipedia. It's the smallest town. It's in Queensland. 
The population is one. <laughs> Established in 1887, 1530 kilometers west of Brisbane, 1367 kilometers north of Adelaide. Belongs to the Diamantina Shire Council. And the state territory is Mount Isa. Well, there you go. It's a small town. I was reading about the person who actually lived there, a single man. Uh, he died a few years back, but he seemed to have enjoyed living all by himself in this place called Bituta. There you go. All right? Maybe I got it right, I think. Well, smallest town. Now, what about this one? I'm sure you can recognize this place. You should, right? City of Melbourne, about 100 years ago. All right? Melbourne, that was then. Now look at Melbourne now. Wow. See that place there, friends. Where is it? Did I get that right? That, oh. Anyway, this one year, that's where the action is going to be next week. Uh, no, no, no. In a few weeks' time uh, at the MCG. Now, those of you who follow the sports, you know what I'm speaking of this morning. But anyway, this is the city of Melbourne. It's great. Uh, Melbourne, 2012, the most livable city in the world. It's a fantastic place. Melbourne is well known for its sports. We're looking forward to the cricket. We're looking forward to tennis. How many of you are tennis fans here? Come on. Okay. Wonderful, isn't it? We're looking forward to tennis matches. We're going to sit there for hours. There'll be no sermons in the month of January. No. <laughs> we have tennis. We've got cricket. We've got the Sri Lankan cricket team coming. We've got food. We've got culture. Melbourne is a beautiful, vibrant city. It's a great place to live in, the most livable city in the world. Well, this morning we'll look at another city, another town, a very obscure place. Uh, it was so little. It's called another, it's a very important city. Am I? Okay. Right. It's a city... We know this place where most of us would know, uh, at least some of you have been there, uh, the city of Bethlehem, right? This is modern. It's a modern picture here, so it was not what it is on the picture many years ago. In modern terms, uh, Bethlehem would not, some, one writer put it this way, in modern terms, Bethlehem would not merit a single traffic light or sport a single radio station. Won't have a single traffic light in, uh, in Bethlehem. It lacked any political or military significance. And yet this city was on God's map. And this city has made history in God's eyes. We read of this city in Micah chapter 5, where this city or this town made history in the world that is unparalleled to any city or any town in the world. And our text for this morning is... Well, we're going to follow up there. Okay, thank you. Uh, technology, eh? it's great when it works. So you're going to follow up with me, uh, Greg? That's great. Uh, our text for this morning is uh, Micah chapter uh, 5, uh, verses 2, and then we, uh, two, and then we're going to verse 4 and 5. But you, oh, but you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. And then, in verses 4 and 5, we have this, He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, 
in the, in the majesty of the name of the Lord is God, and they will live securely for them, for then in his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth, and he will be their peace. Now, let me say this. What do we know about Micah? The name Micah means, briefly, what shall I ask of Yahweh? What shall I ask of Yahweh? The book, in fact, will close with that question. Normally, the prophets are identified by their fathers by saying the son of the father, but here in Micah is called, or his name is identified from his home city, which is called uh, Moreset. Right? So he's identified in terms of his location and not his parents. Uh, Micah 1 and verse 1 says this, The word of the Lord that came to Micah of Moreset, in the days of Jotham, Ahaz, and Ezekiah, kings of Judah, which Esau, his prophecy concerning Samaria, northern, and Jerusalem, the southern area. In fact, his prophecy, while focusing on the southern kingdom and delivered within the southern kingdom, would also be addressed to the northern kingdom of coming judgments and God's promises of redemption and restoration. So Micah the prophet ministers in Judah during the time of three kings. Jotham, Ahaz, and Ezekiah. His ministry is sometime between 730 B.C. and 700 B.C. The question for us this morning is, why is Micah there? What is his message? And Micah is here, my dear friends, because he is prosecuting a case against the people of God due to their idolatry. They have broken the covenant with God. They have forsaken God. They have begun to follow idolatry in their lives and forgotten the great God. It happens, doesn't it? It can happen to you. It can happen to me. We can forget the greatness of our God. We can forget the blessings of our covenant God and follow other things. So God is holy. His justice is holy. And he will not overlook any sin. So the overall theme of the book uh, here in the book of Micah is this. It is redemptive judgment, it is discipline, and it is restoration. And it is this theme that runs throughout the entire book. And Micah is called to minister and to deliver a strong and a powerful message uh, to his people. Well, in Micah 3.8 we have this. But as for me, I am filled with power with the Spirit of the Lord and with justice and might to declare to Jacob his transgressions and to Israel his sin. So this is Micah's task. He's here to declare justice. He's here to declare the transgressions of Israel and his sin. Wow. What a tough task, isn't it? What a tough task to be able to actually do that, to be able to stand up and declare judgment. It's not easy for a preacher to get up and speak judgment, right? Nobody wants to hear judgment, do we? We want to hear kind of flowery messages that make us feel good. We don't want to hear about judgment. We don't want to hear about discipline, right? But Micah is called to do that. He has to be strong. And within this context of judgment, there is a silver lining in the cloud. There is a message of good news. And as St. Augustine has said, the old is in the new revealed and the new is in the old concealed. Right? So we can't understand the New Testament without the Old Testament. 
because these two are connected. The old is in the new revealed, and the new is in the old concealed. And so Micah here comes out and he says, But you, Bethlehem Ephrata, though you are small among the clans, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel. What a message. Let me just give you uh, briefly the context here of this prophecy. Right, I'm on. Okay, most, most of the Jewish nation at this time was conquered by the Assyrians, right? We know that. If you look at biblical history, the Assyrians had conquered parts of the Jewish nation. Listen to what uh, we find in Isaiah chapter uh, 37. We have these words there in Isaiah 37, 33 to 38. Therefore, this is what the Lord says concerning the king of Assyria. He will not enter this city or shoot an arrow here. He will not come before it with shield or build a siege ramp against it. By the way that he came, he will return. He will not return, enter the city, declares the Lord. I will defend this city and save it for my sake and for the sake of David, my servant. And guess what, friends? God did it. Look at the text there. In Isaiah chapter 37. Then the angel of the Lord went out and put to death, how many? 185,000 men in the Assyrian camp. The angel of the Lord. I was looking at this text, you see, God fought for the city. God brought upon him the judgment upon the Assyrian army. And the angel of the Lord slayed 185,000. Powerful God. You see, I think sometimes we forget, we forget, don't we, who our God is. What a great, awesome, redeemer, conquering, powerful, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent God. He is all-powerful, he is all-knowing, and he is all-present. And when he speaks, he acts in the most powerful and spectacular way that we can't ever even, even imagine. Do you believe in the power of this God this morning? Do you believe that this is the God that you and I are worshipping today? That this is the God, my dear friends, who slayed 185,000 men just like that? The God who brought this world into existence out of nothing? This is the most amazing God that we worship. That's why I stand every Sunday, or most Sundays, in this pulpit and preach because he gives me the grace and the strength. And the more I think about him and the more I read in his word, I'm absolutely blown away. Amazing, powerful God. No matter what happens, the battle belongs to the Lord. And we are trusting this God to do great and mighty things. And he does. So this is the God. None can stand against him. And Micah speaks of a further dreadful time of uh, judgment in, in Micah chapter 4 and verse 10. It says, Write in agony, O daughter of Zion, like a woman in labor, for now you must leave the city to camp in the open field. You will go to Babylon. There you will be rescued. There the Lord will redeem you out of the hand of your enemies. This is the context here. 
And then in Micah chapter 5 and verse 1, we have this, Marshal your troops, O city of troops, for a siege is laid against you. It's a call for readiness. The city is going to fall. Their king will be removed. The Babylonian invasion will take place. All power to resist will be gone. It will be a dark period in the life of God's people. A dark period. Because they are unfaithful. There's corrupt leadership. They had no regard for God. They had forgotten and forsaken God. Will there be any hope for the future for God's people? What will become of all of God's promises that God made to Abraham? If you come into the evening services, you've know, you, you would know that we've been studying the book of Hey, the book of Genesis, right? <laughs> okay, uh, we were looking at Abraham, we were looking at his promises, and tonight I'm looking at, this is, I must say, John Huing is a great guy, he's given me six chapters to preach on tonight, right? He's not here, he's given me six chapters, we're going to look at six chapters this evening, so come prepared to stay from uh, whatever time till midnight tonight to see. It's amazing because the, as, as I was preparing my car and preparing Joseph, both two big characters in the Bible, I'm sitting there thinking, wow, this is great, right? Obviously, God working out his purposes tremendously, and Micah is sitting there and asking the question, is there going to be a silver lining in the cloud in the midst of this dark period? Is there a ray of hope? God's answer is a resounding yes. A resounding yes. He promises to God's people through the prophet Micah that one is going to come from David's city, and is going to come from Bethlehem Ephrathah. And Bethlehem Ephrathah basically means this, friends. Bethlehem means house of bread. And Ephrathah means fruitful. So combine the words together, it's a house of bread that is going to be fruitful. It's a fruitful house of bread. This little town in Bethlehem so small and so insignificant and God is choosing this city, this little town to do something amazing. Often that is the case, isn't it? God chooses something small, out of the way place and sends a ruler to be born there and which he changes the course of history. Just like he does with us. Calls an insignificant people like you and myself, he changes us, transforms us and uses us. See that? That's grace. That's grace. See, history, as someone has said it rightly, is his story. History is his story. And this ruler, as we see here in, in 1 Samuel chapter 16 and verse 1, is this. The Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul, since I have rejected him as king over Israel? Will your horn with oil uh, and Sorry, fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I am sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I have chosen one of his sons to be the king. Now, Bethlehem was not where David reigned, but it was the city where he was born. Uh, David was from Bethlehem. But the reference here in Micah chapter 5 and verse 2 is not to David, because David has come and gone. It's to another ruler. And every Jew who looked forward to the coming of the true Messiah, would know that Micah's prophecy pointed out to another ruler. In, in Second Samuel, we read this, When your days are over and your rest 
and you rest with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring to succeed you, who will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom, and he is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. And now another text, friends. Another one, which is Second Samuel. And we have this one. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul, whom I removed from before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. It may have seemed as though God had not yet kept his promise in sending the promised king, but he does. He does. There's a line that has been established, and God is not going to revoke it. He has not forgotten his promise. Centuries later, something amazing took place in the Gospel of Matthew. Come with me to Matthew, the Bible passage that we read this morning. King Herod is there, and Jesus is born where? In Bethlehem. Right? And this is what, Mike, what we read in the Gospel of Matthew. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, and by no means least among the rulers of Judah. What is Matthew doing? He's connecting. He's bringing the Old Testament prophecy, and he's saying God is fulfilling something. Right? That's the first thing. Now, if you come with me to the Gospel of Luke, Luke chapter 2. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. And this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to his own town to register. And then in Luke chapter 2, 4 and 5, Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee. You can read it there. And he went to a town, Joseph and Mary traveled to Bethlehem. Right? Why? Why? Because Bethlehem was to be the birthplace of a special ruler. The prophecy was fulfilled. Right? Uh, we have uh, James Montgomery Boyce who says this, Bethlehem was a small town among the many towns of Judah, but with a great history, and yet the history of Bethlehem was to become even greater. For it was out of Bethlehem that he who was to be a divine and everlasting ruler over Israel would come. I want us to see that this morning, friends. Micah chapter 5, verse 2, prophesied 700 years before the event when Christ was born. 700 years. 700 years. And in the providence of God, that becomes fulfilled. Wow. Wow. You see, our God is a God who keeps his word. Yeah? See, you and I don't keep our word, do we, all the time. But God does. He keeps his word. The good news is here for us to read and to see and to observe the brilliance, the brilliance of biblical prophecy. This was prophecy given by Micah 700 years before the event and was fulfilled on the very first Christmas. And we've been studying 1 Peter in our morning services. We're taking a break the next few weeks, commencing today from 1 Peter. But look at what Peter uh, says in 1 Peter chapter 1, right? Which we looked at a couple of weeks ago. All men are like grass. All their glory is like, a fl- like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall. But the word of the Lord stands forever. Do we see it? God spoke. Micah prophesied it. 
700 years after that, Joseph and Mary, they go in there. Prophecy is being fulfilled. God's word stands forever. That's why, that's why we preach this word, right? That's why we study this word. That's why we encourage you to be men and women of the word of God. Because God's plan has been fulfilled. And so we see here this, this morning that, that Micah says that this, this person coming is a ruler, the eternal one, the shepherd king is a ruler. My question to you this morning is, is he the ruler of your heart? It's one thing to say, Jesus is my savior. That's, that's, that's easy, right? Oh, he's my savior. Wow, wow, that's great. Ask the question, is he your ruler? Does he actually rule your heart? Does he rule my heart? Does he rule us here as a congregation? See, he's, just, he's not just a ruler. He's a ruler with power. He will display his rule with miracles that he did. And Micah is speaking of this. That he will display his rule at the cross, conquering the powers of evil. He will display his rule by the resurrection from the grave. Three days later, he, re- he reveals his awesome power by rising from the dead. Imagine that. The tomb opens. Christ has risen. Don't be uh, amazed. In a few weeks' time after Christmas finishes, there will be hot cross buns in the supermarkets, I think. <laughs> they go one thing to another. All right? Powerful. It's come out. He's ruled. He's ruled over the grave. So that when you and I die, we will not be in the grave. Yes, our body will be either cremated or in the grave, but we will not be there. We will not be eaten by the rotten worms. No, but our souls will be in heaven because Christ is the ruler. Did you see that? Wow, wow, wow. What a wonderful, what a wonderful Savior, right? He will display his rule in all his splendor. When Jesus comes back, his rule will be established permanently. He will display his ultimate rule when he returns with the thousands of angels, with the trumpets sounding, and the Savior will come in all his splendor. Wow. That's the rule. That's the ruler that Micah speaks of. It's also not just the ruler. He's the eternal one. Micah says this, that his origins are from of old. He was not created he is from the beginning, is the preeminent one. He's the one who John spoke of in, our, in, in John chapter 1 and in verse 1. Uh, we have these words there in John chapter 1. The word became flesh. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Eternal one is the alpha, the omega, the beginning and the end. Oh yes, that's the same. He was not created. The beginning of all things is the creator God, right? We have a stunning statement in the gospel of John. Listen to this for a moment, please. In John chapter 12 and verse 41. A stunning, incredible statement here. It's quite possible that we read through it, the gospel of John, and we forget to see the significance of this thing, right? I mean, I, I read it and reread it and I've said it again. Isaiah said this, you look at Isaiah in John chapter 12, we don't have time to look at the context here. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about whom? Him. 
thousand offspring. Because he's a preeminent one. See, Isaiah saw Jesus and spoke of his glory. Man. You and I through the Bible. And by illumination of the Holy Spirit, we see, we get to see Jesus and speak of his glory. That's why we do mission work. That's why we're going to do the bake-off on the 20th. I'll be there to taste the baking. That's for sure. <laughs> no. But, but, I mean, that's why we want to take stuff. The Gen Y commend you for that ministry to go and give, distribute stuff with the emergency uh, organizations, police, uh, ambulance, because we want to do gospel work. Share the glory of Christ of Christmas with deeds. And he's not only that, friends. He's also the shepherd. Right? And Micah, we see that God promises a ruler, one who is from eternity, and one who is a shepherd king. The shepherd king. The promise is based on the covenant that God made uh, to, to his people to send a shepherd. The shepherd that was promised. And you know, friends, sometimes I often think about this. I wish I had two, three, four hours that we can just sit here and just expound the scriptures, isn't it? We don't have that time. Well, look at John chapter 10 and verse 10. See this? I am the good shepherd. Very different. I know my sheep and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And something different about the shepherd. I lay down my life for my sheep. He's ruler. He's from eternity. He's shepherd king. The Lord is my Shepherd, I am the good shepherd. Prophetic fulfillment been fulfilled in the shepherd king Jesus, who reigns forever. Not just the shepherd, but the good shepherd. I am the good shepherd. There are significant words. It's a clear affirmation of his absolute deity. And the shepherd king, Yahweh in the flesh, I am, lays down his life for us, his people. He knows his sheep and he loves us eternally. And he's given his life for us. This is what we read in Micah chapter 5. Uh, there. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God. And they will live securely. For then his greatness will reach. Let's read it. His greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And he will be there. gospel brings peace. When Jesus was born, good tidings of great news bring peace to all mankind. I ask you this morning, do you know the shepherd? Do you love the shepherd? Do you serve the shepherd? Is the shepherd walking with you every day that you put your hands in the shepherd's hands? Say, Lord, Lead me on. Precious Lord, lead me on. Because you are my shepherd. I'm your child. And you've done this for me. It's beyond my understanding. This ruler, this eternal one, this shepherd king is our savior. Whom we're going to celebrate his birth on Christmas Day. Remember him with thanks. Why I did this sermon this morning, this talk is so that we will prepare our hearts leading to Christmas. As we are so busy doing so many things. But I just want to encourage us, including myself, to just stop for a moment to pause and think. 
that this Savior is the ruler, is the eternal one, and is the shepherd. And that's why I can celebrate. That's why I want to celebrate. That's why I want to be with my family and friends. That's why we want to sing our carols. He becomes the reason for our seas for the season because he is the ruler, he is the king, and he is the shepherd. Three things. Friends, as I close this morning, see, we trust in the Lord our God who is mighty. Christ is a mighty savior. We are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Let me encourage you to give, uh, to trust this savior this morning, to know his power. And yet, yes, God chose an obscure city, Bethlehem, the city that was placed in God's map to send a son, his son, into this world. And this child was no ordinary child. Is God in the flesh. May your hearts this morning be encouraged. I don't know where you are at today. Maybe, maybe you've had a shocking week. Maybe the week has gone berserk past week. I don't know. Maybe it's been a great week and you've been whistling while you've been working. Praise God for that. I don't know. I just want to say this. Our shepherd loves you. He's the eternal one and he's our ruler. And for me, that's all I need. It's all I need. I'm sure it is for you as well. Because he loves you. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you, thank you that we have such a mighty Savior, Jesus Christ, the ruler, the eternal one, and the shepherd king. Pray this morning, you bless our hearts, you warm our hearts to you, Lord, today. We lift up our spirits this morning if we feel down and depressed or going through times of testing. Whatever our circumstances, Lord, help us to rejoice in the mighty Savior, the mighty ruler, the eternal one, and the shepherd king. In Jesus' name, amen.